All right, let's start off with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us, your faithfulness. Uh, even though we are uh, not faithful, you are. And we're so thankful that you have saw fit to allow us to live another day. We pray, Lord, that as we speak about these hard issues, that you would be uh, in the midst of the conversation, Lord, that your word would be the prominent uh thing that we see and we hear, we understand. And Lord, we're uh, praying right now for the folks that are uh, that are affected by abortion, that have that, whether it's directly by the women that are or the men that are in their lives, their families, Lord, we pray for them, Lord, that more than anything, Lord, they would see the light of Christ, they would see you. And especially when uh, they're at uh, the clinics that we are partnering with, Lord, we pray that your word would shine forth in their lives that they will see their dark lives and turn and repent and go towards you. Pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. This is truth. Welcome back everyone to the truth talks podcast. I'm your host, buddy Boone. This is the first time this year as a matter of fact, in probably the last six months that we've actually been in the actual Truth Talk studio uh, at uh, the church in Matt's office. But Matt is not here. I would almost guess, I would bet that he is in the duck blind right now. The 100%. Yeah. Got it. Because this is January is not over yet. And he is out trying to get, wait for it, Mallard Drake's. Mallet drakes are the prettiest and best ducks. Apparently, they're the best tasting. Uh, but you know, tasty and pretty. Yeah, yeah, and it is what it is. But the other voice that you hear is actually the voice of uh, Joy Hall, and I'm actually going to let her introduce herself. And I'm not even going to. I'm I'm just going to say Wellspring because I'm old school. Sure. And uh, it, it was pregnancy clinic before that. It right. was yeah. It, it's it's like. Uh, Y'all are like the prince of uh, the artist. Rebranding. Yeah, rebranding every, every, but it's good. I I love the new name and I'm not going to mess up the new name. So if you could kind of give us, you know, some understanding what you do and uh, the new name and, you know, even a little bit of a little bit more of an explanation on why you all changed it around. Sure. Yeah, that's a great place to start. So as you mentioned, I'm Joy Hall. I work for the pregnancy clinic and I'll keep calling it the pregnancy clinic for a good long time. Um, We did switch to Wellspring Life Ministries. And actually, there's quite a history of name changes. A long time ago, we were the Bowie Crofton Crisis Pregnancy Mm -hmm. Clinic, which was a mouthful. And the word crisis gave women an understanding of if they were in a crisis, we were a place to turn. And over time, you know, our director has really kept up with what resonates with people and and what draws them in. And it became apparent that pregnancy clinic was a a more effective draw for women to find us. Um, Not everyone even wants to think they're in a crisis, even if they are. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was changed quite a while ago. So in recent years, there there have been two shifts, and so one was our ministry name. So that's what we call our donor-facing name. So our donors see Wellspring Life Ministries, and that encompasses all the different services that we offer to women and men. 
And then our client-facing name, we recently changed to Women's Clinics. And that I explained a little bit about. That's because women now, it's so fascinating. Again, our, our director keeps up with kind of all the things that are happening out there and how women are responding to different things. And even the word pregnancy, if you don't want to be pregnant, mm. you might not want to go to a pregnancy clinic. Hmm. I didn't think about that. That's yeah. I, I definitely see how that can push people away. It's interesting. It wouldn't have occurred to me even. And I, you know, talk with these women. But if you look at the names of a lot of abortion clinics, their abortion is not in their name. Mm. So they're often called family planning clinics or women's health clinics, you know, very vague names, frankly. Yeah, but now as I'm thinking about it, how is it that a name like Planned Parenthood could actually be, you know, like the go-to? Like, because if someone, like you said, someone doesn't want to be pregnant, they would run away from anything that said pregnancy, you know? But parenthood is something that they would go towards, you know? Right, and that brand is like Coke. And that brand is so old, Mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood. And, you know, people have joked about it in the past, like we plan to end your parenting or, you know, stop you from parenting. Mm -hmm. So Planned Parenthood implies that you could plan to be a parent or not be a parent. Mm -hmm. You can go either way with that. And so that brand, I, I doubt they would ever change that. But if you look at other local clinics, many of them do not have abortion in their name. Mm-hmm. And so that's recognizing that women don't necessarily want to think about it as abortion. Some women will say they want to terminate, you know, mm-hmm. use softer language, language that they feel they can cope with better. Right. So, so yes, yeah, so we have changed to women's clinics and Matt, I felt bad that he said it was wrong in the in the calendar. It's not. So we are still Wellspring Life Ministry. So mm. we have two names. We have a donor facing name or support, you know, facing name for our churches and they understand we're a ministry. And then we have the client facing name, which a ministry wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't go to a ministry for the kinds of services we offer. So the name for clients is women's clinics. And we have expanded the services, like I mentioned last week, to offer well woman visits. And that's specifically for women who don't have health insurance, women who lower income women. And, you know, at some point we could offer it to more women, but that makes the most sense to mm-hmm. give this to women who would have trouble accessing health care otherwise. And so hopefully we would be the, the place they would come to for all kinds of services. Mm-hmm. And then they would know where to turn when they hit that what we used to call a crisis pregnancy, at least an unexpected pregnancy is what we would call it now. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, there's so much that we can talk about um, because there's a lot that has to do with these subjects. And I say these because it's not just about the subject of abortion. It's not just about that. It's about the, the legislation that's happening and stuff like that. So, uh, I'm kind of leaving it open, uh, you know, wherever you'd like to start would probably be where we the best place, you know, because there's there's so much. I don't want to waste any time. So, sure. <laughs> yep. so, you know, I, I thought a good thing for us to talk about just to clarify for everybody is what abortion is like in the state of Maryland. I showed the map and that's from Guttmacher. Mm-hmm. Guttmacher is the research arm of Planned Parenthood. And so it's interesting, but it's very helpful to keep up with what 
people, abortion advocates, how they present abortion, Mm -hmm. how they see it, because they do keep up with it very well for the, of course, exact opposite reasons that we do. They want statistics. They are not ashamed of those statistics. So they're trying to get the most accurate information for the opposite reasons that Mm -hmm. we would get it. So I had accidentally said that we are most protective. We're actually labeled very protective, which is one step under most protective. Mm. So what that means for us is abortion is legal in Maryland through viability. And so viability, what would you guess viability would be considered? (laughs) Well, I think I would have a different perspective because viability is if if you, you know, would get a pregnancy test, you're that's viable. Mm, mm-hmm. That's the way that I would see it. You'd look at it as the pregnancy test. And one one way that we look at viability is early in pregnancy. So you could have a pregnancy test that's positive, but mm-hmm. you're about to miscarry. You could have a pregnancy test that's positive and your miscarriage has already started. And so you've got this hormone HCG in your blood. But and in your urine, that's how, you know, urine tests for a woman. But the pregnancy isn't going to continue or it isn't healthy or it has even already ended. But that hormone is still in her blood. So pregnancy test tells you you've got this hormone going and likely you're going to be pregnant and it's going to continue. But in a fair number of cases, it doesn't. So we do what we call a viability ultrasound to see is there a heartbeat and a gestational sac? Mm -hmm. Can we see that the pregnancy is developing and that it's it's going the right direction? Um, And that heartbeat, if it's super duper low, that can be normal if you're very, very early or it can be a sign there's something wrong. So if we see that, then we say that the pregnancy is viable and we can see that by about five weeks and six days or so. So very, very early. But when it comes to abortion, viability is when would the baby survive outside the womb? So track with me here for a sec. And this is real time. We didn't practice this before. Sorry. Everybody didn't see my face. My eyebrows were as high as they could go because, yeah, that's a go ahead. I want to hear what this is about. Right. So think this through. When would you guess a baby could survive outside the womb? If something happened, you know, something's gone wrong and maybe a car accident or something like that. And this woman goes into late. When do you think the baby would survive? Yeah, I would think at like five months, you know, we've had preemies. I've seen, I've heard of preemies five months, you know, six months. Right. So five months, 20 weeks, 24 Mm -hmm. weeks. So that's exactly right. So abortion is legal up through viability and, and that measure of viability. When would the baby survive outside the womb, which... You could say it's 23 weeks or 24 weeks. And then you'll hear a news story where some baby was born at 21 weeks Mm -hmm. and survived. And so viability just, it's a moving target. Mm -hmm. And what does it have to do with whether or not we should end the life of the baby? Yeah. What does that have to do with it? Yeah. But the first thing that popped in my head, and I might be skipping ahead a little bit, is the, the viability. Like my thought process of viability is different but let's just say someone a woman found out that she was pregnant and she automatically was like all right i gotta do whatever it takes so she goes online and buys these pills and the baby is not in the in the spot where that she's actually going to have it Mm -hmm. so it's actually you know the baby is already in the process of miscarrying or whatever the case may be how much damage? That's the first thing that that popped in my head. How much damage would she be doing to her body because of that pill? Because of that, you know, those 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 uh, drugs. So 
that's just a thought that I had. And I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty bad. That is something else that we look for. So when a woman wants the abortion pill, we're looking to see where is the pregnancy? Is mm-hmm. the pregnancy in the uterus or is the pregnancy in the tube? Mm-hmm. You know, ectopic means the pregnancy is outside the uterus. Usually that means it's in the tube. So mm-hmm. that would be a tubal pregnancy. And so if it if that's the case, if the pregnancy isn't in the right place, then the abortion pill doesn't end the pregnancy. And the woman doesn't necessarily even know that she's taken something that's not going to end the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It might just have a whole bunch of risks and side effects for her right. and not even have anything to do with the pregnancy. But if it is a tubal pregnancy, her tube will eventually burst. Mm. So she needs to know what's actually happening, not just take this medication without finding out if the pregnancy is where she thinks it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Back to Maryland. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Got a little bit off. No, yeah. the, it's all relevant. Um, and it just, you know, it's fascinating to me that viability is even something we talk about because that's not how we would measure what we're going to do with people's lives in other cases. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was driving by, if I was driving down the highway and I saw a car on fire and I thought, well, if I do nothing, that person will die. But you're going to intervene to to try to help that person, right? Mm-hmm. You try to help people live through things. Mm-hmm. A baby, whether or not it could live outside the womb on its own, has nothing to do with the value of its life mm-hmm. or or the the nature of its life as mm-hmm. being a human being made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So the idea that we would give more or less care based on whether or not you could survive without help, without assistance, Anytime you hit any kind of a medical crisis, say you're under anesthesia or, you know, you have all kinds of issues where you would not survive unless other people intervene to help you. Mm -hmm. And so a baby who could be viable and you say survive outside the womb would still need incredible care, incredible intervention and care. And that's, you know, we care for human beings because they're made in the image of God. They're other human beings. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to look at you and care for you as I would care for myself. Mm-hmm. And so this measure, it's its a very odd measure, even from a secular standpoint. Yeah, It doesn't quite make sense. But that's, that's the standard in Maryland is viability. And then past that, abortion is legal in Maryland if there's a problem with the health of the mother or the baby, and this can be even just mental health. So in other words, if I, as the mom, I'm 30 weeks pregnant and I say, I have, you know, anxiety and depression, it's very severe and I'm, I'm not going to be okay. That would be a a mental health indication for me as a mom. And that would qualify me for an abortion. So the standard there is very low. And I, I don't want to, get caught up too much in this idea late-term abortion is not the most common abortion it's not the frequent huge problem it's it is much more rare what do you mean by late term so past viability so past that that point of of 24 weeks or so okay so late term would be a third trimester or a late second trimester abortion and so those are legal in maryland for again health health issues if there's something wrong with the baby and the mom says well the baby wouldn't be well so you can have an abortion for that or if there's something wrong with the mom so those are not frequent they're not common but they do happen and they are legal in maryland okay so you said that maryland is a very protective or like 
very protective rather okay. than most. Most protective is the highest status right. so, for abortion advocates. And so, we are very protective. The reason they label us that, it's fascinating. If you look at how they describe us, they'll say that there are restrictions. Okay. Maryland is a state that has restrictions, which okay. is, you know, we would think there's very little restriction. Very little because you've got many, many, many months to realize you're pregnant and get an abortion before you would even have to claim any kind of health issue. You've got mm. six months. You've got up to 24 weeks mm. to to figure that out. And there are women who don't realize they're pregnant right away. Mm-hmm. And so they would have sought an abortion early if they realized they were pregnant, but they have had reasons why they didn't realize it. And so, you know, as a dad, you know that by five months, women are feeling the baby move, even mm-hmm. if they didn't know. And I have I have had clients like this who really, for various reasons, didn't realize till very late in the pregnancy. But that that's something that sometimes pushes women to seek abortion later is for some reason they didn't realize they were pregnant. But even with that, they generally realize before that stage. So the late-term abortions, you can get one in Maryland for, for certain reasons, and um, but it is not the most common. The most common is the first trimester, and that's true across the country. And another issue that I wanted you to be aware of as far as Maryland regulations is minors. So minors mm-hmm. in Maryland, the, the requirement is parental notification for one parent. So that's not parental consent. It's notification. And it can be waived by the provider if the provider believes that the minor is of a good frame of mind to make the decision herself or if there would be any danger to the minor. And so there's a lot of leeway with that. There's a lot of not notification going on okay so sorry let's back up here for a second so a 15 year old young lady can walk into an abortion clinic Mm -hmm. and tell the doctor hey i have been sexually abused by my stepfather and she can get an abortion and the parents will be none the wiser yes and for much less than that if she felt, if she persuaded a provider that, you know, her parents might be very upset with her for getting pregnant or something like that, and if she persuaded the provider that she was of a healthy, you know, intelligent frame of mind to make this decision for herself, then she could get it, even without a, a very dramatic situation, but certainly for one like that. Yeah, and the way that I just said that just now, I can see how somebody would be compassionate towards the young lady, mm-hmm. but... My mindset was, no, she's completely lying. Like, mm, you know, she would lying. be, gotcha. she's, she, you know, she got pregnant by her boyfriend who's probably 18 or, you right. know, whatever. Right. And she doesn't want to go to her parents. So she just walks into the clinic, to into the clinic, terminates the pregnancy, Tells kills the story. baby. And mm-hmm. it's like, hey, this is what's going on with me. And it is one parent. So, you know, we have a lot of one parent homes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you could tell the parent that she could give the information to notify the parent that will be more sympathetic to her. So it's very loose. It's very loose for minors. And it, I mean, does it have to be, uh, this is where my mind is going. You know, they could say, Hey, this is my parents number. It's not really actually their parent, you know? Right. And if there's a reasonable attempt by the provider to get in touch with the parent and they are not able to, 
that's what's required of them, a yeah. reasonable effort. So you can see how loose that is and how very. easy it is to work around. Yeah, It's very, very easy for a minor to get an abortion in the state of Maryland without parental notification. And again, it's notification. It's not consent. So mm-hmm. that's that's another way that, from our perspective, that's very, very liberal. From an abortion activist perspective, that's a limitation that shouldn't even it's, exist. It's not they enough. shouldn't even have yeah. to notify parents. Yeah. So that's why Maryland could look like it's very, very, very liberal, similar to another state that was mentioned which in church last Sunday. I want to just say that seeing that we are not the most protective, we're very protective. We are, I have to oppose what Matt said, that we are not the California of the East Coast. I think that New York is the California of the East Coast because would they be very protective? Or you know most what's interesting? Maryland and California are both very protective. Really? Yep. So who would be the most protective? Oregon. So maybe Matt was right. Oregon? Oregon. Vermont. Really? Those are the only two that get that highest rating from Guttmacher. And again, that's why I mentioned earlier, we trust their statistics in the sense that they are not ashamed of any of this. They they would like every state to be dark blue. Mm-hmm. So if there were more dark blue states, they would put them all on there and be very happy to do so. Right. So, yes. So technically, and again, this is their rating system, but yes, we are the same rating as California. And Oregon and Vermont are the two that are worse. But the odd the odd thing about it is that Maryland, if you look at Maryland, you have you have some very conservative counties. We do. Like, you know, you go down to St. Mary's, you know, um, you go up to Cecil and, you know, Cumberland, you know, all of those remote kind of areas. They're extremely conservative. Right. You know, I would almost say that they're deep red. But in, you know, our county, Prince George's County, Anne Arundel County, you know, Charles and especially Montgomery, you have a concentration of just very liberal people but they're the ones that are making or, or voting in the way uh, to, to make the, the actual entire state that color. Right. And there you mentioned a concentration of those, you, you know, people of that line of thought. But also there's a density of population there mm-hmm. that isn't in St. Mary's County. So those counties that are more conservative have fewer people. Yeah. And so it does sway yeah. the state. Because they don't want to be blue. sitting on top of each other like, you know, they are. And even in this county, you know, mm-hmm. m- me and Beverly have had discussions about, you know, different counties. But, you know, Belcroft, if Belcroft and Aldi are too far away, she doesn't want to live there. <laughs> That's her two things. So, but no, I get I feel it. you, Beverly. Yeah. So I get it. It's it's tough because of that. You know, uh, I would say that that situation of, you know, having that. But. So as far as Maryland is concerned, uh, very protective state. Yep, Those uh, are the things that make us very protective of abortion. And yet even they would occasionally describe us as having restrictions because yeah. of the very, very few that we have. Right. Right. Describe us that way. And as I think about it, too, uh, last time was the current governor in office. The last time we talked, no. he wasn't. So has anything I think he was maybe he was. just coming in, but there probably wasn't much that had happened. Right. What Has anything happened since then? Well, um, what I mentioned about him stockpiling the abortion pill right. 
So I don't know. There may be other states that have done that, but that's a pretty drastic move. And the, the only reason the two and a half years just has to do with when the pill would expire. Hmm. Like if you're wondering, like, why would somebody do that for two and a half years? Like, what's the magic number? It's just that's when the medication would expire. So my expectation would be that he will do that again you mm-hmm. know, to get more. And so it's it's incredible, really, because, you know, I mentioned that the abortion pill came out in the year 2000 and I started at the clinic. I have to think about this for a minute, about 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. So it was already there when I started, but the vast majority of abortions at the time were surgical abortions. Okay. And I think this is um, this is definitely something I, I wanted to go over today that the abortion pill has really changed the landscape because surgery is inherently scary. And if you think about this, the kind of surgery, this is not getting a tooth pulled. This is, it's scary. This is a woman's uterus and cervix. And this is something that women have traditionally been afraid of even if they wanted to do it. Yeah. Right. And so with the pill, It started out, I don't know what the stats were when I started there. Again, about 2006-ish, 2005. I don't know how much the pill was being done, but we were still routinely explaining the surgery as the main option. And then also saying, oh, and there's this other option, you know, to make women aware of it. But our focus was on the surgery. And women came in generally, like we have a, a paradigm of how we try to assess where a woman is mm-hmm. in her thought process and what her concerns are. And that's all in our training and I'll plug our training. I'd love for everybody at our church to take it. It's, it's just an amazing class, but you learn there about how we try to look at the information the woman gives us and figure out where she is mentally and emotionally and how she's looking at this and how we can help. Mm-hmm. And so one of the parts of that paradigm is her fears And women generally presented with fears about having an abortion. And over time, I noticed that they weren't presenting with that much fear anymore. And there's a number of reasons for that. One of the reasons is that abortions become so normal that, and and think about this with me too, the the pregnancy clinic opened in 1982. And so that's a, a very long time ago where if you were seeking an abortion, you might not know anybody who had had an abortion. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, in the 2000s, we're dealing with girls who not only know somebody who's had an abortion, but it's her mom. Yeah. It's her mom. Mm-hmm. And her mom is telling her, well, honey, whatever you want to do. And so it's less scary if lots and lots of people that you know have been through it. Yeah. Right. And so there, we saw less fear in the clients and more of a, well, it's just something you have to go through. Again, I use this, I use this analogy of wisdom teeth because it happens to a lot of people They have to get their wisdom teeth pulled and nobody likes it, but you live through it. Right. And you ask your friends, mm-hmm. how'd it go? Like, you know, what'd you do? Did you use ice? Did you use Tylenol? Did it work? There are videos online of people after they've gotten the gas and, you know, the, the, the funny things that they say. Yeah, it's a it's a very common thing. Yes. And so if you hit it, you know that you'll live through it and you know lots of people who have. Mm-hmm. 
And that is what I started to see with abortion, that there wasn't much fear. There was much more of an attitude of, I'll live. Mm-hmm. It's everybody does. Everybody's fine. And then with the pill, that fear was reduced even more because it was marketed that way as this, you know, very easy process. And again, mm-hmm. when I was sharing, I thought, I have beat this dead horse for years and shared with you guys over and over and over again about the pill. And I guess it's just my own sensitivity because no one has ever come up and said, why do you keep talking about the pill? Everyone seems to get it. But it is, like I shared on Sunday, just so frustrating Mm. the way that it is presented to women as something that's very, very easy. And like with surgical abortion, most women do survive abortion. Mm -hmm. It's not that women you know, experience the worst consequences physically all the time. But those things can happen. And so there are physical risks that we want women to be aware of. We don't want them to be duped into this and thinking it's so easy. And I just, I have so much compassion for these women when they tell me, particularly when they're seeking abortion pill reversal is when I'll hear this. So abortion pill reversal, by nature of what it is, the woman has started an abortion the day before she sees me, Mm -hmm. or she might have even started it that morning. You know, she has to see us for abortion pill reversal within two days, basically, for it to have any chance of working. And so that's when I'm seeing a woman who has just done this in like usually the last 24 hours. And not all the time, because not everybody's the same, but frequently enough, they are traumatized because mm. they just, they bought it. They bought into this picture of like, you just pop this pill and then you just sort of have like a heavy period and it's no big deal. But these women, they come in and that's not what they've been experiencing. Not physically, not mentally and emotionally. They're not, they're not ready for it. They don't realize how tough it is. And so they will sit there and describe to me every single step of what happened how they, why they decided, you know, to abort and then where they went and what the waiting room was like and what the staff was like and Mm. how they were treated. And oftentimes, again, if she's seeing me, it's because she's had second thoughts. And so oftentimes we find out that those second thoughts were there at the start. In other words, when she walked in the door, she wasn't feeling completely settled, Mm -hmm. but she was thinking, well, this is the best thing to do. And And this is pretty easy. It's just pills. But then when she gets in there, she struggles. And she might even be trying to get, she might even be expecting someone to help her think Mm -hmm. it through and talk through it with her, just like you would with any medical procedure. Yeah. If you're going to have a medical procedure, you know, Summer just broke her leg, Mm -hmm. right? And we went in for a consultation and they talked us through everything very carefully and explained to us why we needed to do each thing we needed to do and Lots of disclosure and yeah. everything we needed to know. For, for y'all that don't know, Summer is the violin player that had floor seats uh, a couple <laughs> Sundays ago. Yeah, she's on the floor for a little while because of this broken leg. So that's what a woman might be expecting is someone to give her lots of information and sit with her and talk with her about each step and what this is going to be like. But often they are rushed through. Right. They are pressured if they are feeling doubtful they may be crying Mm -hmm. they may be asking nervous questions and getting short answers and being told well look if you if you need to think about it for a minute come sit in this room i'll be back in a minute come Mm -hmm. in put the pills down and say here this 
here's the pills, get these down. Very, very cold treatment. And this is anecdotal. These are anecdotal stories. These are stories my clients have shared with me. This is not every woman's experience, but it's just even psychologically, it's not as easy for a lot of women as it's presented to be. Well, I've I've heard stories like that. I think that a few years, not a few years, man, it's probably like 10 years now. Um, I was following the trial of Kermit Gosnell yes. in Philly and some of the horror stories that some of those ladies were telling where he was like forcing them like lay down and and like you know yes. like abusing them to yep. get them to 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 have to, to give them an abortion right and it was it was pretty bad so i can almost imagine when it's like you know basically a quota they have to hit it's it's more about a number yes. more than there is like the care and concern so i would imagine that walking into uh uh you know the woman's clinic that yes it's like well hey let's talk How's it going? You want some water? You know, right. those things, I can imagine that it's a completely different experience. And they're like, well, I feel like I'm I'm heard, you know. Yes. I mean, we try to be everything mm-hmm. that the abortion clinic is not. We try to really show her how much we care about her from the minute, from the appointment making, whether that's by text or phone, because women can make appointments by text from that to when they walk in the door, I mean, we just treat them like gold because we care about them and we want them to feel it. We mm-hmm. want them to know it. Our offices are very comfortable and beautiful and warm and not not a cold, sterile environment where we're just pushing you through because we're not making any money. We're not making any money off of her decision. We have nothing to gain but to share the love of Christ with her and to tell yeah. her the truth that she's not going to hear there. And they do, someone asked me after church, you know, what are women told? And I explained a simple there, if you could call it told, they're told everything by being handed a thick stack of fine print paper Hmm. to sign before they go through with any procedure. Mm -hmm. So they are told technically this is going to happen and that's going to happen, but you've been handed a thick stack of paper in some circumstance where you're like I don't have time to read all this I need to get out of here sometime today so you browse it you initial all the spots they highlighted and you Mm -hmm. sign and you you go home with your new car or whatever it is it's that kind of experience where it's a lot of a lot of information but not something that someone sits down and processes with them and so again we do the exact opposite we talk we talk and we listen to her and so that is what I see I see these women right in the middle of this experience, very traumatized. And then it can be very, very tough because she realizes, this is so hard to watch, she realizes that she's been treated badly and that she has been duped on some level, but she went in there on her own two feet, Mm. she picked it, and then she didn't like what she picked, and she's not sure who to be mad at. And so that's the game. That is Satan's game Mm. that he plays with these women's heads. Mm -hmm. You know, they know that they did choose it. And most women have a sense that there's something wrong with abortion. Most. I have seen women who genuinely just don't think there's anything wrong with it. But that is the exception. Most of them have some sense that this is a big deal and it's a big decision. 
And so when they go in there and they go through this experience, it's so psychologically disruptive and spiritually disruptive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when they're going through that, we have to very carefully steer them and help them see that they're both responsible. Mm-hmm. She's responsible for walking in there and they're responsible for not paying attention. I mean, obviously, again, it's kind of hard to talk about these things and frame it all correctly because they're wrong on every level from start to finish. Mm-hmm. On their end, from the appointment to how they greet her, everything they're doing is wrong because their whole goal is to kill her baby and her pregnancy makes some money off of it. That's, mm. that's why they're there. But even with that, if they were to look at her and say, well, this woman doesn't seem completely certain of what she's doing. She's crying. She's upset. She's saying she's not sure. Then they should recognize that and not push her to to the next step, which is, again, that's what I often hear is mm-hmm. that they were pushed to the next step. And then when they walk out the door, when they've taken this pill that they didn't feel con- completely comfortable taking and they were having these doubts about it they are just beside themselves right just beside themselves i've many times been told by a woman or teenager that she went out and got in her car and drove somewhere and tried to throw up Mm. to get the pill out of her system so again these clients when we see them this is where i feel like even though it's It's not statistics, it's not numbers, but this is where I get a sense of what they really go through, Mm -hmm. particularly psychologically. And so I I talked a lot here at Bellcroft over the years about the physical side effects. And those can be, again, if you think about this woman who's going through all this, right, she's not feeling good, most of them just do go home and take the second set of pills. They Mm -hmm. don't realize they have an option or they feel like they do have to finish it out for whatever reason they go home they finish it out and on top of everything i just described they're throwing up mm-hmm. they're having severe cramping they're passing tissue and they were told this was going to be easy and so that's the physical side effects most people live through them it's not fun and they live through it mm-hmm. and it may not be the thing that years later they're like oh it was physically the most horrible thing i ever went through but psychologically and spiritually it can be devastating mm. I, I mean i can't imagine out of you know especially when the i would say the whole concept of a, of abortion and uh the termination of pregnancy and even the verbiage it all makes it this or, or sets it up to be like, this is easy. Yes. This is easy. Yes. And that's, you know, I highlighted this, but I've mentioned today that the pill changed the landscape because it surgery is obviously not something women wake up in the morning and go, oh, I want to go do that. That's the thing that provokes more fear. The pill took some of that fear away, and it's all a lie because mm-hmm. it's still this very difficult process to go through it's still again it's abortion so there's the the bottom line of what's wrong with it and then there's all these other things that go along with it and then we've just seen this progression with it being expanded use up to 10 weeks the world health organization approves it up to 12 weeks Mm. and then you've seen what happened under covid where she doesn't even have to 
see a human being right. to go through this process. She can go through it completely on her own. Yeah, you were saying Sunday that it, it used to be that they had to get like, first it was in person, then it was like a Zoom thing or something like that or like a, a video. Well, the original protocol is three visits. Mm-hmm. This was is what was rolled uh, changed in 2016. Mm-hmm. So from 2000 to 2016, the protocol was that she had to go in to get the first pill. She took it there in the provider's office. She would have, if they did it right, they would have watched her, you know, monitored her for a little bit, make sure she's okay. Then send her home with the second set of pills, which is a set of pills. The first pill is one pill. Second set of pills is four pills. And then she would take that 24 to 48 hours later, and then she'd come back in in about two weeks to see if she's still pregnant. Mm. If she's still pregnant, then they have to make a decision. If she's taken both sets of pills, the second pill, misoprostol, is a pill that does have an increased risk of birth defects. And when we say that, what we mean is any woman can have a baby with birth defects. But mifepristone, the very first pill in the abortion pill process, has no birth defect increase. There's no increased risk of birth defects with that first pill. So if she does go home and think twice about it and come in to see us, we can give her progesterone therapy and she hasn't, if the baby survives, she hasn't done anything that would harm the baby. The baby should be fine. And all of our abortion pill reversal babies have been fine. None of them have had any birth defects. So, but if she takes that second set of pills, then she has an increased risk of birth defects. And so if she goes back in and she is still pregnant, what they will say is, okay, routinely early on, they just did a surgery. Now they're often just having her take more misoprostol. So more of the same. Because you can take, it's crazy, buddy. You can take all these drugs and it doesn't even work. That's not, that's a a small percentage, but that can happen. And so then you, at two weeks later, you're at square one, but now you have a pregnancy that might have a baby with birth defects. Mm. So now you've added something mm-hmm. to what was already a difficult situation. And so right. then she has to decide, do I take more misoprostol or do I get a surgery? And so now that it's expanded to 10 weeks, that's when it was reduced to two visits where she needed to go in, get the drugs, but get them all. And then just come back for the follow-up. And we know that didn't always happen. And like anything in life, you can't always get people to go back in. And so she might not have had the maturity to realize she needs to get her follow-up visit done. Or for whatever reason, she's, that's just not, that's not tracked very well. So mm-hmm. under COVID, it went to just ordering it online. There could have been, so you mentioned a Zoom session. There was lots of you know, lots of innovation during that phase mm-hmm. to do healthcare online. And so some of it would be a Zoom call or some other, you know, protected online service like that. But it can also just be by phone mm-hmm. um, and just through just a questionnaire on a website. So last year, like I mentioned, I looked at several organizations to see how difficult is this? Are we exaggerating? We never want to do that right. about how easy it is to get a hold of this. And so I could put in whatever I want to put in mm-hmm. about myself. I could say I was a 16 year old girl mm-hmm. and I could get this. I had one of the sites, they said, they asked the question of whether or not I was a minor and then had a a statement afterwards that whether I was or not, they would help me get the pill. Mm. So 
In other words, to get me to go ahead and say, I don't not even sure why, if they're going to give it to me, why they even care. Right. But you can get it. So you can order it from overseas. You can order it locally. There, there are, it's so blatant. I was reading an NPR article last night where they are telling women in states where it's illegal, here's how to get it if you're in a state that's illegal. So it's not, it's just not hard. Yeah. So in addition to that, um, there are, I've seen them reposted by uh, a follow a few people that are, you know, like liveaction.org yes. and some other organizations. And they were highlighting uh, some women that were on various websites, uh, whether it be Instagram or TikTok or wherever. They, there are uh, basically instructional videos yes. on how to do it. Yep. You know what to do. I would imagine I didn't have watched all of the video, but they would have a link on how to get it. Yep. But what they were doing is they have it and they are actually doing this whole thing where uh, like this is the ritual that, you know, this is how you do it. Yep. So with that, there are so many like young women that are like now influenced by that, you know, right. they're first of all, they're getting their identity and what they do from TikTok and from Instagram. And now they have someone that is, you know, showing them the proper way to, or, and I say proper with air quotes, right. the proper way to actually go through with this abortion experience or procedure, uh, how to do it. This is what they're basically mentoring these young women yes. into this. And this is, you see this, the same thing with the transgender movement and, you know, all those things like, hey, you know, I, I appreciate you. I love you. I can show you exactly, you know, what to do. And you have a family here. Right. These women are doing the same thing with this whole uh, ritualistic type of and they're calling it, you know, they're they're really upfront with it. It's it's satanic. And they're they're showing their their cars there as well. Right. So it's it's self-managed abortion and it is essentially the future. Mm. This is where we're going. And because of that, because everything is online and that is the community for young people mm -hmm. that is their community and it's just like you said there's all this love and affirmation if you're in the community and you're doing everything the community likes so that's where younger people are getting their ideas and this information about how to go through this and someone else has gone through it and they tell them how to do it and so of course that's all another example of how evil our culture is because mm -hmm. people are mentoring other people in this evil in some sense it's interesting because the abortion industry still presents the abortion pill experience as if it's very minor. But when you get into those videos, the things you're talking about, they'll be a little more honest about what it's like, but mm -hmm. they'll tell her how she can get through it. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that's ice packs or warm compresses mm -hmm. or, you know, take a warm bath or like I've seen the stuff you're talking about, mm -hmm. of course, and it's. So it's to to shepherd her through her abortion process. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, it's absolutely horrible. And yeah. this is this is where we're going, and this it's it's having an effect. And I want to get to back to the work that we do to combat this, but it's it's definitely having its effect, especially in that another change we've seen is women used to come in pretty 
regularly not sure where they were in their cycle because not every woman tracks that. Mm -hmm. Some women are very tuned in and some aren't. And so it wouldn't be unusual at all for me, maybe half my clients, I'd say, you know, when was the first day of your last period? Because we need to know that to help her with the next steps. And she wouldn't know. And she might say, I think I had one in January, but I know I had one in, in December because I was at this party or something. Like she's got very a very vague idea of where she would be. But because of the hype around Dobbs and the fact that abortion is restricted in some states, there's a lot of awareness now that you may or may not be able to get the abortion you want. And so and there are apps to track your period now on your Mm -hmm. phone where women track everything else. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing a shift where girls are a lot more aware where they used to come in and be like, yeah, I think I'm late. Now they're coming in before they're even late. They're calling, you know, they want appointments. And and when I say they want appointments, they don't necessarily want appointments for us to do what we do, but they want they they want the abortion pill. And so they'll call us thinking that they could get it from us, which of course we tell them we don't do abortions. We tell them that immediately up front. But they call us wanting the abortion pill. And when we hear, oh, they want the abortion pill, we explain what we really do. And that they should come in, get the pregnancy verified with a lab-grade pregnancy test and get a viability ultrasound to find out what's even going on with the pregnancy. And so, you know, we invite them to come in when they've called for that. But what we're noticing is that they're reaching out before they're even late. Mm. You know, say they had an encounter and they're what they didn't use protection and they're scared. And so they're calling in and they're like, well, my period's due next week, but I think I might be pregnant and I want to find out. Mm. And so... You know, at that point, unfortunately, we can't see anything on sonogram that early if they're not even late. Again, we can see things at about five weeks and six days. And so then, you know, our hope is to persuade her, don't have this knee-jerk reaction and run out and take this pill tomorrow when you don't even know what's happening with the pregnancy. We want to persuade her to take the time to think and pray and see what her support is and of course our whole goal is the gospel Mm -hmm. you know to get her to see for herself that her true need is christ and for the pregnancy once you have christ you can figure out the pregnancy very easily (laughs) once you once you have the lord you can figure that out so our whole goal is to tell her the truth and share the gospel all at the same time but these are the shifts that we're seeing over time You know, if you go back early in our conversation, early 2000s, women are coming in They're They don't know how late they are a lot of the time. They're looking at surgery and they are inherently nervous about it. Mm -hmm. They may know somebody who's had an abortion, but maybe not tons of people. And they may not know anybody who's had an abortion. So you fast forward, you know, 20 years and here we are and it's the pill You can order it online. You don't even need to leave your house. You can watch a TikTok tutorial. Why would you even go be seen Mm. by our organization? And so we are, you know, constantly trusting the Lord at every step, but constantly trying to make ways that women would find us and understand the importance of coming in for the kinds of services that we offer. And so, again, that's why the well woman angle is is one of the next things that we want to see 
reaching more women mm-hmm. so that they don't have to think twice about where to go. They know to come to us. And that um, repeat client situation, I remember the very first time I had I had been counseling for maybe six months and I had had a client and she had aborted and I came in and I saw her name on my schedule and I was like, is that the same girl? It's the same name. Mm. And I, I, you know, pulled out my phone to check her phone number because I thought, of course, two people can have the same name, but they won't have the same phone number. Mm-hmm. So I pulled out my phone and sure enough, it was her. And I was like, wow. So they, they come back. That was my first personal experience with mm-hmm. it. And she came in and she did not abort that second pregnancy mm-hmm. because the first one hadn't gone well. And she had done something I don't know if we've talked about before here, but after that abortion, because she, it was an unexpected pregnancy, she didn't want to be pregnant. She did abort. And then she immediately had all this regret and she got pregnant on purpose after that. Because a lot of times... A woman, after she has an abortion, she'll be afraid that she can't get pregnant. And then she'll think, I better find out if I can get pregnant. I better find out if I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we see clients bounce back actually pretty quickly after they've had an abortion because now they're scared and they're trying to get pregnant. And so, again, that's a post-abortion stress symptom, that fear. And it's a valid fear because there could be something wrong and she could have a fertility issue. But we see that. So that was my first experience with a repeat client. But... The experience that I shared on Sunday with mm-hmm. that um, woman, those are the kinds of things that God does. And you just stand back and you're just in amazement mm-hmm. at what God is doing in people. That was just a really, really neat and wonderful conversation. And that girl really seemed to be getting it and just just pretty amazed by the theological truths that she was hearing she was very interested mm-hmm. a lot of women are not interested in hearing this right you know we're sharing it and they they are they pick up their phone and they start getting distracted and looking away and trying as hard as they can to look uncomfortable so you'll stop sharing the gospel but other women are very tuned in and so there was another um woman that i debated which one to highlight on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And I so I chose not to share this particular story. I believe the kids were dismissed when I shared, but just in case kids were there, it's just a little bit more explicit. But this was a client who had come in for abortion pill reversal, and she her abortion pill reversal story alone is extremely dramatic, and I'd love to share that sometime. But skipping forward to this year, Her situation with her boyfriend had changed. She was pregnant again, but there were two possible fathers. She and her boyfriend had broken up, and she's with another guy, but she's been with her boyfriend, and so now she doesn't know who the father is. Neither one of them want her to have the baby. And so she had actually been receiving some ongoing counseling from one of our licensed counselors. Mm -hmm. And so she was no longer in frequent touch with me. I was her APR counselor. But she wasn't in frequent touch with me. We kept in touch here and there. But when she found out she was pregnant again, her long-term counselor said, you know, do you want to go in and see Joy for this? So she came in, and she was very abortion-minded again because she's in a whole new set of dramatic circumstances. Now, this client is Muslim. And we had I'd shared the gospel with her before. She knows exactly where we stand. We'd been able to be very, you know, 
with all the contact that you have with APR, you have lots of opportunity. And so we get to see her over and over again. And what share is APR? Sorry, abortion pill reversal. Oh, okay. So right. that's her. She originally came to us for abortion pill reversal. That was successful. She has a beautiful little boy. But she had not accepted Christ, and she still hasn't accepted Christ. But when she came in the second time with this next pregnancy that she wanted to abort, she decided to wait and go ahead and see what was going on with the pregnancy. She got the ultrasound, and she just kept scheduling the abortion but delaying it. She wanted to abort, and this this is a client I know well, okay? So we would have intense conversations mm-hmm. And go back and forth and round and round about what she was doing. And I could be very personal with her mm-hmm. more than with someone I've just met. And so we would just go round and round and round about it. And she would make an appointment and I would check in and say, you know, did you go? Did you do it? And she would say, Joy, I just couldn't follow through with it, but I'm going to do it next week. And so this went on for gosh i'd have to look back many weeks mm-hmm. okay that she like making an appointment for what an abortion okay yep and then not going through with it right. and going back and forth and telling me no matter what was going on saying joy i can't have this baby i cannot have this baby but then she wouldn't go through with the abortion mm-hmm. and so this is going round and round and round and round and again she knows we're christians we know she's muslim this is all on the table this mm-hmm. is these are things we talk about but at some point she came in for a follow-up sano still in her decision making process and the baby looked small and but the baby was really active heartbeat was good this was just odd Mm -hmm. you know babies randomly looking like six days smaller than it should Mm -hmm. i remember after that visit it was like "Hmm, what's going on and this is you all doing a sonogram sonogram. okay yep and so then she started spotting and she said joy i think i'm miscarrying and she's in late first trimester at this point Mm -hmm. and still planning to abort And still just going back and forth and round and round about it. Some of it was money. Some of it was financial. But there were all kinds of reasons. At any rate, she eventually goes into an OBGYN who looks at the baby and the baby's even smaller. And the OBGYN says, you're going to lose this baby. And then says, but if you don't lose it by 16 weeks, we should abort. Which is illogical. Mm. If, if you're going to lose the baby, then lose the baby. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't have to end the life of the baby. If the baby's going to go, that's in God's hands. So I counseled that to her. And she believes in God. She believes in Allah. Mm-hmm. So we talk about God. And she knows that I'm talking about a different God. But we have these conversations all the time. So, you know, I said, let, let God make this decision. Don't take this into your own hands. So we go around about this again. This is many, many, many weeks going on. So finally, she loses the baby. Mm-hmm. And we're talking and now we're shifting gears and we're talking about the future and healing and, and, you know, what she's going through and what's coming next and how she's going to get through the next things. And I've shared the gospel with her so much. I've talked about Jesus so much. And one day, you know, we're texting because this is typically texting and this girl can text like nobody's business, (laughs) full pages, lots and lots of text. And so we're texting and I'm feeling, I know she has a a friend, her, her best friend is actually a Christian. She's told me this several times. And so I'm just feeling like, wow, this is we're, this is going to end soon because we don't normally, you know, we track clients to a certain point and then we do let them go, mm-hmm. right? And so baby's gone and I'm just feeling like, gosh, I just, 
I don't want to let this client go. I just want to tell her one more thing. And sort of, sort of out of desperation, and I'll explain why I say that, I say, your friend, your best friend who's a Christian, does she go to a church? And that when I say desperation, it's because I don't know her friend. Mm-hmm. Everybody, lots of people call themselves Christians. What do they mean by that? Yeah, That's always my question. Oh, what do you mean when you call yourself a Christian? What does that mean to you so mm-hmm. that I can understand how they define Christianity? So I'm throwing this out like in desperation. Like, could I get her go to her friend's church? And I don't even know if it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But God knows, you know, God can direct her if, if he chooses to. So I asked her this and she's like, oh, yeah, she she has a church. And I said, have you ever been there? And she said, well, I went there, but I stayed outside. And I said, why? And she said, out of respect, of course. And I said, oh, well, you should go in and hear, hear the gospel, hear what they teach about Christ. Mm-hmm. You should go in and, and see, hear that, find out what they say. And she said, really? And I said, of course. You know, why would you feel like you couldn't go in? And she was like, you know what? She was like, I, I, I kind of am curious about it. And I was like, yeah. And again, I'm kind of like, please, Lord, like reach this girl. Um, and so then she says to me, and this is why I chose not to share it on Sunday. She's like, well, I said, go on Sunday. And she said, well, I can't because I'm bleeding. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, I can't go into a, a service, a religious service when I'm bleeding. And she's like, you know, today I said some set of prayers, but she said, you know, for Muslims, if we're bleeding, we can only say these prayers and, you know, not the other ones. So I'll, I'll go back to all the prayers when I'm not bleeding. And this is a miscarriage bleeding. Um, and so, and then she says, and I, I can't go into a service when I'm bleeding. And I was like, wow. And I said, you know what? In our faith, we can pray anytime. Men, women, we can pray anytime we want to. It's okay if we're bleeding. It doesn't matter. We can go to church anytime. Mm. And she was like, really? Mm. Oh, my goodness. Mm. You know, just she's, she's trapped in this false religion. And, and then she said to me, she was like, you know what, Joy, you're not going to believe me. And there's all this argument. That's why I told you all the months of us just going round and round, more like sisters mm-hmm. arguing about something about this abortion. And she's like, you're not going to believe this, Joy. But I actually was thinking about that. Like, I, I want to understand better. I want to know more. And she said, we do believe in Jesus, you know, as in this defensive way that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That's another, just, just an example of, of what God does. And you can see the, the tension where I shared last week. We don't get to know. It, it's not ours to know. We, I can keep up with so many clients for so long. And mm-hmm. um, I will stay in touch with this girl, you know, very long term. Mm-hmm. But the intensity of the contact that we had will necessarily ease off. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the nature of it. And so we just share that gospel, spread that gospel and let God do what he's going to do. And we just pray and trust and hope. And that's the exciting part, because, you you know, when you look around, which I we have to do, we have to look around and see what's happening. What is happening out there in the world? Why are we seeing these clients? Why are they presenting the way they are? Why are they not even afraid anymore? Mm -hmm. Why are they coming in at? you know, a stage where they're not even late for their period. You know, we have to look around and see what's happening. And then we have to get our eyes back on what God's doing mm-hmm. and what we're there to do and keep doing that no matter what, no matter what all this other drama is. Yeah. 
you know, so that's, and then there's just that, of course, you know, your heart's cry is just to see every one of these girls just come to Christ, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, that's, that's why we're there. That's why we've changed our name, expanded our services. That's why we, when they call us and they're not even late for their period, we're like, okay, well, let's, let's see her. Let's do Mm -hmm. whatever we can for her so that we can share the love of Christ with her. So that's, that's what it's about. And can you give me a little bit more? Cause you were talking about, you know, uh, expanding the services. What, what are those services that you, you know, another so, overview of those? Right. So basically pap smears and breast exams. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, you know, what a woman would get if she went to her OBGYN for a well woman visit, or if she went to her primary care provider, sometimes they do it. Mm-hmm. So again, particularly for low income women, they can't get those checkups regularly. Mm-hmm. And they need them. And so we do STD testing as well. So she could get all that routine care now from us if she doesn't have health insurance. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Yep. It is good. Yeah. And as far as like the um, the the ultrasound, is, is it ultrasound? Is it was is that what it's called? Yes. Or, um, ultrasound and sonogram are the sonogram. That was synonymous. The yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I know that there are... Um, I mean, with that, I mean, that's kind of like the routine or is that like anybody can come in and just do that? Or how does that work? So that is that is for women who have a positive pregnancy test and there's some kind of vulnerability there. Because if she's going to carry, if she comes in and she wants to verify her pregnancy and she knows she wants to carry the pregnancy, then she'll get an ultrasound in her prenatal care. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to do full prenatal care, but at this time we don't offer full prenatal care so for that woman we call that a carry you know she's going to carry Mm -hmm. so for a carry client she'll get all that in her prenatal care with her OBGYN but for a woman who doesn't know what she wants to do or she knows she wants to abort she's not going to go to an OBGYN Mm -hmm. so she's not going to get a sonogram unless we give her one Mm -hmm. and so we give the sonogram to her and again, the goal there is to find out if the pregnancy is viable, see what's happening. Is it going to continue? Because if it's not going to continue, if we can see that, you know, sometimes we can see that the there's something there, but it's not alive. Mm. And so, you know, we can let her know, like, this is what's happening and you can expect to pass this. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes if it's if it's very early, you wouldn't even know, but they've come in. And so we can see that this isn't developing. And so that woman doesn't need to think about what to do next because her body is going to resolve that. But for the woman, when we see that the pregnancy is viable, there's a heartbeat, there's a gestational sac there, then she has that decision still ahead of her. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're there to counsel her through, always steering her towards life, always sharing the gospel with her, um, you know, always helping her to feel that she can do this. Because, you know, I've talked about this before too, but so many women feel like they have to have an abortion they don't feel empowered and i again i have to caveat there are women who there are you know hard-hearted i'll just say it hard-hearted women who feel like it's completely their right it's their body it's their choice they're going to do what they want to do those women exist right but the vast majority of the clients that i see they feel like they have to have an abortion for about a hundred different reasons mm-hmm. you know it can vary from person to person but they don't feel like they have a choice they feel like this is what they have to do. And so that's another part of our work is to say, you don't have to do this. There there are ways to move forward without ending the life of your baby. 
Mm-hmm. That is also an option. It's yeah. kind of a crazy conversation, buddy, yeah. to have to say, no, yeah. you don't. You do have options. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas the, the pro-choice, quote unquote, pro-choice movement is like, this is your choice. This is your choice. You can do whatever you want to do. And the girl sitting in front of me is like, I have to have an abortion. I can't have the baby. Mm. I hear this all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they have a choice. They feel like there's one choice and it's abortion. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm glad you actually said that. And this I don't think this is a curveball to you, but this is something that I thought about and did not tell you about this before. But you'll you'll Hit be me. fine with this. Um, there is okay. So I have a shirt that a lot of people have seen. And it has a baby that's knit inside of like it has a baby inside of like uh, like yarn and, and two uh, knitting needles. I don't know what they're called. My daughters are going to hate me because I didn't say it the right way. Uh, but uh, a crochet needles, whatever they're called. And of course, it's Psalm 139 is the scripture on that. So I was actually wearing that shirt and I didn't know, I didn't realize uh, that on the back it actually said abolitionist. Mm-hmm. And some people were walking up to me uh, and asking me, hey, are you an abolitionist? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, what's that? <laughs> I saw your shirt, by the way. Yeah. And a guy says to me, um, and I was at a Christian conference wearing this mm-hmm. uh, in Atlanta. And he's like, do you know the difference between the two? And I was like, no, school me. And I was like, my thought process is I'm not pro-choice. Right. I'm pro-life. And he's like, pro-life is different from being an abortion abolitionist. Yep. Explain. So as he's explaining it to me, he's like, well, pro-life, there has been a lot of legislation that's been pro-life that has to do with, you know, limiting the time frame. Like some states will say, well, I'm, you know, we, you can do it up until this point or Uh, If it's in the case of rape or incest, you know, it's okay. Those people would consider themselves pro-life. Abortion abolitionists are like, absolutely not under any circumstance can you have an abortion. But also, they would also be looking to, uh, um, to indict or, I don't know, the, the right term for that is the legal term, but to... Um, you know, put the mom and the doctor uh, to charge the mom and a doctor for murder mm-hmm. if they were to have that. Now, I'm not saying I'm saying it generally. Yep. Not every abortion abolitionist is like that, but I know that they are very hard. They have a hard stance on actually who is going to or who can't, you know, they, it's like no abortion at all. Mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that because I know that there's the pro-choice and pro-life but this abortion abolitionist movement has kind of been just like kind of in my in my thought yeah. process. And I'm going to add to that uh, a book that I highly recommend is by uh, I would call him the late one of the late great uh, 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 reformers uh, now is R.C. Sproul actually wrote a book called Abortion. Mm. He actually wrote the book back in 1990. Um, but when I was at that same conference, they were actually giving it away and there this is the revised edition the 20th anniversary edition so this is the 2020 uh edition 2010 good grief my math is off uh but they redid it 20 years later and some of the and he uses pro-life a lot in this book 
not understanding that pro-life would change so dramatically right. in the last 14 years. So I kind of wanted to get your thought process on that uh, as, you know, you're doing what you're doing on the front lines. How should we be thinking? Should we be thinking pro-life? Should we be thinking abortion abolitionists? That's where sure. it is. Great question. So, so many things to say about this. We do consider ourselves pro-life. And I think that probably the quickest way to boil this down would be what the focus is. So the abolitionist movement is exactly what it sounds like. The goal is to abolish abortion. Mm-hmm. And the tactic is to make it 100% illegal And for some of them, you know, criminalize the doctor Mm -hmm. because he would be the one performing it. And some would go as far as to criminalize the woman. And so the belief is that if we as the church see this rightly, if we see that it's murder, we would want it to be illegal and we would want everyone involved in it prosecuted. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I, I don't personally know any one in the movement. I have only read what they say. Mm -hmm. And they very much feel that our position, which I'll explain in a second, they feel that our position is too light. So as a pro-life person, if I see, and I said this on Sunday, anytime we see sin diminished, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's not eternal salvation if you sin less, Mm -hmm. but less sin is better. Mm -hmm. That's that's biblical. We want to see sin diminished. It doesn't solve our eternal problem, mm-hmm. but more sin is not better. Right. And so it's long been recognized that any win, you know, like Roe v. Wade being overturned, there are fewer babies dying in America right now, mm-hmm. inarguably. That is a good outcome. Right. Is that ultimate? No, but it is good. Mm-hmm. It is good when we see abortion diminished. So on the pro-life side, and I'll speak for for myself and for the organization, and I should say a lot of the things that I've shared today are my opinions. Mm -hmm. I work for the organization. I can represent women's clinics and Wellspring Life Ministry, and I am here today to do that. But also I'm sharing some opinions. And so on this, I'm sharing my opinion, but I do know that our director feels the same way. As a pro-life organization, we are happy when we see those laws changed when we see anything go in the right direction towards life. Mm-hmm. The abolitionist movement sees that as compromise. Mm-hmm. They see that as we're willing to settle for less than abolition. But our goal as the ministry, and I would argue as the church, our goal is not to abolish sinful practices. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to share the gospel because that is ultimate. I want to reach her heart. And I personally am not interested in criminalizing her. If she reports to me that she did abort, I'm interested in sharing the gospel with her again. Mm-hmm. Because as the church, we were told to go forth and share and make disciples, share the gospel and make disciples. That's the mission of the church. Mm-hmm. So my mission is not to change laws and get all that stuff taken care of. There are people, individuals in the church, who are doctors, who 
can testify about what abortion really does. There are Christians who are lawyers who can go and say this should not be legal. There are Christians who are judges who could make decisions about things and and bring their biblical perspective into it. Mm -hmm. And so there are individuals out there in the world who need to decide how they want to approach those issues. But as the church and as a mission for us to take up law to make things legal or illegal, that's beyond our gospel mission. Mm-hmm. My goal is to share Christ with her mm-hmm. and and to point out the evils of abortion to her and to steer her away from it, to steer her towards life. Yep. And I, I will say, and again, I like to be I like to be fair and generous and and play devil's advocate with with myself. When I look at a situation, I like to look at it from both sides. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you very honestly, I've read a lot of the writings of the abolitionist movement and they dramatically mischaracterize the pro-life movement. Hmm. They'll just very, very broadly characterize us as not caring about the gospel, which I find ironic because that's what we think is the answer. Right. We think the gospel is the answer and that laws don't change hearts. Yeah. Laws don't fix the problem. Yeah. It's not that we don't need laws. Mm-hmm. We do need laws. And I, you, you watched me talk about this last Sunday. Mm-hmm. We need laws, but our mission from Christ is not to make laws. Yeah. We can change all change the laws, the but that's not going to change their heart. Right. It's not yeah. going to change their heart. And mm-hmm. so it is very ironic to me that abolition, and again, I, I don't want to mischaracterize them. I have not met them. I've not sat and talked with them. I've just read what they write. And I would assume that even among, you know, those people, there's a range of views. Um, but the gist of it is to criminalize the, to outlaw abortion, criminalize the doctors and criminalize the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the gist of it. As you're saying that, I completely agree. I have sat with them and I've talked with them. Okay. Um, I actually had thought through, should I have them on the podcast at some point as well? And as I think about what that conversation went like, there was no mention of, and I'm saying that generally, like I, I don't remember every single word that was said, but their focus was more on the legislation and seeing what is happening in the world. And, oh, well, you know, you know, and it, it reminds me, sadly, reminds me of the people and the pastors that say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to affect the culture. I'm trying right. to reach the culture and I got to do things like the culture. And that's really kind of what it felt like that conversation was versus, you know, these people need the gospel. And right. th- and this is my focus. This is what I'm, I'm focusing on. So as I think it through, yes, that's exactly what the conversation was about. It wasn't about the gospel. So uh, whether you characterize it as pro-life, as abortion abolitionists or not, it really comes down to the gospel needs to go forth and that's really the the focus should be the focus anyway so yeah i'm glad you i'm glad you put it and framed it in that in that regard yeah it's tough because again you know do i think abortion should should be illegal of course i do mm-hmm. of course that's not my mission mm-hmm. and i don't think it's truly the mission of the church mm-hmm. i don't see it yeah the gospel, when we share the gospel, there's two ways we do it, individuals and groups, right? Mm-hmm. You share the gospel with an individual or you preach the gospel to a group of people. Mm-hmm. And where legislation comes into that, our mission as Christians, I don't see it. 
Right. So, you know, it also might even go back. I'd be curious what Pastor Matt would have to say to this in, you know, his series that he did about government and, you know, our role in us, you know, he talked a lot about what is the church here to do and what is the government here to do? Mm-hmm. And so I don't see the church as the governing body to make those laws and to get abortion abolished. And even that is the name of the movement to be an abolitionist, an abortion abolitionist. They're telling you up front that's what they're about. Mm-hmm. But if you read what they say, they believe that that is gospel focused and that we are not. And that's what I find so odd and I do, I read what they write and I'm like, that's so interesting because that's not actually how any of us think. The compromise p- position, for instance, where they feel that, you know, we're happy if we see a law changed and we're just like, yay, and we're not recognizing that it's not a good enough law. Of course we do. Of mm. course we do. This is why when Roe was going to be overturned, when we thought that was going to happen and then when it did happen two years ago and then last year, you heard me happy about it but very aware that that wasn't going to fix the problem that was my whole message last year Mm -hmm. (laughs) was this doesn't fix things it's good but it doesn't fix things Mm -hmm. because you can make laws all day long and it will not deal with the sin problem in the human heart only the gospel deal with that yeah and i i believe that we can with our our director pam always likes to talk about our services as offering that cool glass of water to someone who is thirsty and needy. We serve her. We love her. We invite her in. Mm-hmm. We share with her. Mm-hmm. We don't look at her as a criminal any more than just to the same degree that we look at ourselves that way. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. We do see her sin. We know this is wrong and we tell her it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, just like we're called to tell each other if we're wrong. You know, mm-hmm. We tell the truth about what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's the gospel, Yeah, telling the truth about it. But my goal is to reach her, not to imprison her. Right. Good. Well, I love that. Is there, is there something else we need to cover? We are at right now about an hour and 20 minutes. Goodness gracious, we can talk. We got, we got I mean, I know that there's much more that we can probably discuss, but, you know, it's, it's really up to you. I think we're good for this year. Okay. I did. There were a couple questions that people came up and asked me. Maybe I should just throw that in since yep. we're here. It'll, yep. it'll be a year before we do this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, a young guy came up to me after the service and he just asked a great question. And it was about the, you know, when there is an issue with the life or health of the mother. And he's experiencing this question from other people mm. and wondering how to answer it. And there's a couple things to deal with there. But the main one is, again... It's about God. It's about the sovereignty of God and about trusting God when there's a health issue Mm -hmm. and not taking it into our own hands. And that's really a brief way to put it, but not using abortion to solve a health problem Mm -hmm. that really we should be using good medicine for whatever the health issue is and prayer. And if it threatens, truly threatens the life of the mother, that is tragic. Mm -hmm. But abortion doesn't solve those problems. And it's actually... I'd love it if we could post a link with this. Do you ever post links with the podcast? I post links all the time, but nobody ever clicks on them. Nobody clicks on them, buddy. 
What are we going to do? It's in the summary. I, I do it all the time. And I joke about it. There are some people that walked up to me and was like, hey, you know, I, I do read the show notes. And I was like, you out of 100 people read the show notes. Aww. It's fine. Guys, it's okay. read the show notes. Buddy's hurt. <laughs> it's not that bad. I'm not hurt anymore. But, uh, yeah, I can put the uh, link in there. Okay. Well, there's an excellent video by a doctor. His name is, his name is Anthony Levitino. Mm-hmm. And he's a former abortion doctor. And he did late-term abortions. And he testified before Congress about what they're like. I've seen Have that. Have you seen it? Yeah. And what, what I love about what he explains is that if there's a threat to the life of the mother and she's very pregnant, you just do a C-section. Mm-hmm. You can do a C-section in maybe 30 or 40 minutes. A late-term abortion takes days. Really? Yeah. It takes about three days. Do you know anybody who's ever had their pregnancy induced because there was something wrong? And and maybe the doctor was like, okay, we need to do a, an induction. Yeah. Okay, and so you get labor-induced. We're all familiar with this. Yeah. Do you ever, do you remember any cases where that happened like that day? She went in to be induced and she had the baby that day. It doesn't normally happen. It takes a while because the body it, it's a lot. It's a big process to force labor. And that's what a second, a, a late term abortion does. It forces labor. And the body does not respond to that quickly. It takes time. Hmm. A labor that isn't forced takes time. If a woman gives, if a woman goes into labor and gives birth a couple hours later, everybody's like, wow, that was so fast. Right. Yeah. Right. But if you get induced, it's usually you get induced on Friday and baby comes on Saturday. Sometimes Sunday, if it's a tough situation. Sometimes the woman's body resists. It doesn't want to go into labor. Mm -hmm. More drugs. You know, so so you finally get that baby out. That's late-term abortion. Mm. It's a forced labor process, and it takes a lot of time. If a woman's literally about to die, you couldn't possibly do that. Right. Couldn't possibly do that to her. So there's all kinds of issues with it. But ultimately, it's about the sovereignty of God and trusting God with your own health, if it's the mom's health, or with the baby's health, if it's the baby's health. And I just, I wanted to bring that up because that's a great question. And this was a younger guy. And these are the kinds of questions that younger people engage in. They engage in the what if, what about, what about, what about. Mm -hmm. When the vast majority of abortion is just people choosing it very early in the pregnancy for all kinds of reasons, much less than life and health of the mom or baby. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually the frequent problem. It's a little bit of a red herring. This is not what happens all the time. And that's why I mentioned with Maryland, we do it in Maryland. But it's not It's not a ton of the time. Every t- It's wrong every time because those women in those positions should come to Christ and trust the Lord with their life and with their health. Mm-hmm. And um, this guy that I was speaking with, I don't want to name his name because I don't know him. I just met him and I don't know if he would want to be outed on the program. Um, But you're you're good at hiding names. Oh, thank you. Let's, 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 let's call him Brett. So Brett, Brett is facing this conversation and wants good answers for it. And when I explained the sovereignty of God, it was, he, he resonated. He knew that he was like, right, right. I know. It's Mm. just, it's hard to tell people that. And I said, you know what? Lean into it. Like, don't shy away from that. That is the answer. Mm Mm-hmm. The answer is that God is sovereign over our lives, our bodies, our health, the baby, me, everything. Mm. And we don't need to soft pedal that. Yeah. We need to go, no, that really is it. That's really it. Mm. So, and we, and we have been in situations where we had to counsel a woman that and say, listen, put your life in God's hands. Let him decide. Mm-hmm. 
that's the answer. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we've we've talked about a lot today. Just yeah. wanted to throw that one in Just there. Just that question. One last thing okay. that I did, I said, and I will I will say these names because I know they wouldn't mind. I was talking with Tammy and Tommy after church as well. And uh, Tammy and I were talking about how it's an election year. And I told her and I wanted to tell the church, prepare to hear dramatic stories this year about women who were in states where they couldn't get an abortion and they nearly died. It's going to be what you hear because it gets people upset and scared. And again, it's these outlier cases. Most women are not seeking abortion because they have a huge health crisis. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. Yeah. It happens. And they do think, well, this is the answer. I better get an abortion. And they may even be a woman who otherwise wouldn't. Mm -hmm. They may be a woman who would have had the baby if it wasn't for this fetal anomaly. But she's bought into this idea that because there's a fetal anomaly, she has to have this abortion. And because she lives in Texas, she has to travel somewhere. And it's it's going to be you're going to hear about it. And it's designed to manipulate you. Mm. And of course, you'll you see it, um, but it will, you know, possibly sway people with with weaker views or with a poorer understanding of the issues. And so we should just be aware that we're going to be manipulated if we would let ourselves be. Yeah, I I didn't even think about that, and um, I know that the what I've been seeing and and kind of like the writing on the wall is that the abortion uh, subject will be one of the and it's already the democratic like democrats uh you know just like their their big platform but i know that that is going to be something that is going to be out there that they, they're going to push that more than anything yep. and you know uh, and this is one of the questions that i had that i did not ask was uh the context and the history of abortion mm. and you know one of the things that i've really uh I look back at I was uh, watching the I was watching a video by Virgil uh, Walker and from the Just Thinking podcast and he was talking about Martin Luther King and uh, I think it was either him or Daryl Harrison that posted on their Twitter the the actual transcript of Martin Luther King as he is accepting an award from uh, from Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger. So a lot of people are like, well, no, you know, and, and it's like, yes, he accepted an award from this organization that were basically they believed in you. They still believe in eugenics. They, you know, that they were founded on those principles. But then also uh, how they are planted in, you know, all of these communities mm -hmm. and black neighborhoods. Yeah. And and it was it was very like it's it's very uh, it's very hard to see that a lot of people will just be duped by this whole false narrative of what Planned Parenthood is about, what right. they do. You know, uh, they're not going to be told how many abortions they are actually, you know, doing. Um, and then it's, well, what about if they're raped or, you know, incest? And, you know, what about the life of the mother? Uh, even when R.C. Sproul in his book was writing about those things, he was giving the statistics of it. It's so rare that, you know, that if it's an abortion, uh, I'm sorry, if it's a, it's a rape or an incest, very rare. It's it like, is rare. It's like a single digit, yep. you know, percentage out of all the millions. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, the life of the mother, he was saying that it's, it's extremely rare too, it's like you just rare. said. Yep. But that is the 
picture that's being painted, like your right. your conversation with Tammy and and Tom, and, and Tom, that's like the the in the ideas that they're putting out there to enrage people yes. for like a, a couple of people. It's the same exact thing that happens with the uh, the transgender, uh, you know, uh, homosexual community, you know, uh, and and I'm gonna go a little further and 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 do a Vody Bakim and say the sodomite community. It's it's so it's so prevalent that and it's crazy how if you look at the statistics, five percent, six percent of the population of the United States is transgender, but there are so many different like you know entities that are pumping their cause out there, changing their entire you know, mission statement to go along with that and, and to push that so odd that that is the case from that small amount of people, you know, and the same thing. So, right. These outlier cases Mm -hmm. are going to be highlighted to pull at your heartstrings and make you think that this is this big, huge thing so that we should legalize abortion for a state with all, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people because of this case. Mm hmm. That would be the argument. Mm-hmm. You can see all the holes in that. You can drive a truck through that. Yeah, and even in the state of Maryland, I mean, right. the millions of people that are in the state of Maryland because of the, you know, three hundred thousand women that are in urban areas. You know, we're supposed to be a sanctuary city or a, you know, a very, you know, um, uh, uh, I don't know. I forget the term that quickly, but like how we just a supportive. Uh, entity of for abortion, abortion. Yeah. yeah so and, abortion and I, destination and I, state yeah yeah and i and i and i get it i get it that you want to help people you know but your mindset of helping people is not helping people it's hurting people right exactly you know and they can paint it as a hell you know we're, we're doing this for the community it's not that it's not no. that at all so yeah well um yeah we're at an hour and a half so it's 90 crazy. minutes. Yeah, well, it's been it's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you coming and, and having a conversation with us. And I want to go back because I'm going to do this like we do every single time. Um, the main focus of uh, Wellspring Ministry, the main focus of women's clinics is preaching the gospel, is teaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with the folks that come through the door that are in need, no matter what their need is, whether it be medical, whether it be counseling, um, that is the whole point. Uh, I do want to ask this question before we leave. What can we pray for uh, the ministry for? That's a great question. So pray that we reach them with our advertising, with the new services. Pray that they are receptive to the gospel. Pray for our counselors, our sonographers, our medical staff, for their spiritual protection, for their spiritual encouragement, for every, for all of us to remain rooted mm-hmm. in Christ and really growing in Christ ourselves so that we are ready, ready for all the things that, that come in, ready with answers for these women and with the hope of the gospel and that we just remain faithful, remain faithful to our mission. And that is how it is now. We, we focus on prayer. We know what our mission is. We're not distracted Again, our director's very good about that. We don't have mission drift. We know what, we know what we're there to do. Good. And so the services that we provide are to meet felt needs, mm-hmm. real needs. The needs she has that day that she walks in the door with is what we meet, and we share the, share the gospel as we do that. Mm-hmm. So, 
yes, that we would remain faithful and these women would come in and that they would accept Christ because we do, we do want to see more of them accept Christ. Mm-hmm. But either way, again, that's God's work. So we ask him to do that work and for ourselves to remain faithful to the mission. Good, good. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, like I said, you know, the, the that's the main focus is for the gospel. And uh, on the Truth Talks podcast, we do that as well. We want to make sure that you hear the gospel every time because we need it. We it's it's a it's a need of every Christian and non Christian to hear uh, the gospel as many times as uh, possible. So, thank you all so much for listening. And here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God. Standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless, God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone, everywhere, to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner, and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day, be reconciled to God. Thank you for listening to the Truth Talks podcast. Please reach out to us via Twitter at the Truth Talks P1, via Instagram, the Truth Talks podcast, or you can email at the Truth Talks podcast at gmail.com. Please visit our website as well, bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Click on the ministries tab and click Truth Talks podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. The Truth Talks podcast is a ministry of Belcroft Bible Church in Bowie, Maryland.